When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. In three, two, one. Seven things you don't really need to know, but probably should. I'm Jamie East, and this, this is the Sunday Seven. In today's episode, we take another look at SpaceX's plan, the age-old mystery of why Katzler boxes is revealed, and life is thriving on the Great Pacific Garbage Patch. But first, it was on this day in 1897 that English physicist J.J. Thompson announced his discovery of the electron. As of right now, we are awaiting stage separation, where Starship should separate from the super heavy booster. SpaceX's Starship, the world's largest rocket, was set to fly to space for the first time earlier this month, but... The entire Starship stack continuing to rotate. We should have had separation by now. Obviously, this is uh, does not appear to be a nominal situation. Yeah, it didn't quite get there. Around four minutes into its flight, it exploded. I do want to remind everyone that everything after clearing the tower was icing on the cake. Now, most companies wouldn't call a fiery explosion icing on the cake, but for SpaceX, explosions and crashes like this are part of a unique trial and error learning process that CEO Elon Musk hopes will one day bring humans to Mars. SpaceX's philosophy is more like fail fast, but learn faster. NASA is more like we can't afford to have anything explode while we're learning. <laughs> we, have to, we have to be ready to go. It's taxpayers' dollars. we got to get it right. This is Mike Massimino, a former NASA astronaut who worked on the Hubble telescope, speaking with the Wall Street Journal. Starship's taken on an increasingly large role at SpaceX, and not just literally. It's central to the company's strategy, and its executives have said they want to start launching the spacecraft regularly with Starlink satellites. Not only that, it's signed a pair of contracts with NASA to develop a variant of Starship that would carry astronauts to the moon. It's certainly what NASA is counting on that's going to get people back to the moon and land on the moon. So it's a key piece of what, what NASA's trying to do. By the end of 2022, SpaceX was preparing for Starship's big launch, but Musk knew about the risks a whole year before that. I would not say that uh, it is likely to be success, uh, successful, but I think we'll, we'll make a lot of progress. And even the day before the launch, he wasn't exactly being optimistic. This is not like a, you know, some sort of uh, train leaving the station at precisely like, you know, 9.03 a.m. or something like that. So it makes sense that minutes after the <clears throat> icing on the cake, SpaceX tweeted this. With a test like this, success comes from what we learn, and today's test will help us improve Starship's reliability as SpaceX seeks to make life multiplanetary. When you have a failure, you learn a lot from that failure. So I think their plan was to test to the point of failure and then let's learn from that, what we can from that failure so it never happens again. Starship's perhaps unsurprisingly grounded for now, but Musk says they'll be testing again in a few months. This is a huge step. If they can get this right, if they can figure out how to do this with, with such a big rocket, I think it's going to be not just taking people to the moon, but it's going to help us to explore the rest of our solar system and maybe beyond someday. Baby. 
Reeves, wake up. The new COVID strain's just dropped. Yep, that's right. Just as the NHS COVID app closes down, a new Omicron sub-variant is on the rise. Catchily known as XBB.1.16, the variant steadily spreading in the US, although it's been detected in more than 30 countries. In the States, the CDC says it's responsible for nearly 10% of new COVID cases. Most of the data and news from this has come from India, where we know it's spread uh, much earlier on. And as we know, these are sublineages of Omicron, so it's still under that Omicron umbrella. That was Dr. Isaac Bogosh, a researcher in tropical diseases and HIV. Although it's under the good old Omicron umbrella, the latest variant known as Arcturus has a unique symptom, pink eye. Dr. Samuel Harris is a primary care physician in Florida, where he spoke with CBS News. There's always going to be a surprise for us. Uh, this one just happens to be causing the conjunctivitis, which, you know, it's the itchiness of the eyes, the redness of the eyes. Uh, and it seems to be more uh, predominant for children, too. It, it was a very common strain in India uh, a few weeks to a few months ago, which when that happens, we do expect it to eventually travel throughout the world. Now, here in the UK, COVID-19 may not be at the top of everyone's mind anymore, but the NHS is still planning for a virus that's here to stay. This is John Seymour, Deputy Medical Director at the NHS Frimley Health Foundation Trust. When we see outbreaks or perhaps new variants of COVID come along, I, th I think we do still have to be particularly vigilant at those times because it will have an impact, as we discussed, on staffing and how we are able to look after people in hospital. While medical professionals still want people to keep testing and try to avoid getting infected in the first place, Dr Bogotch says this strain might not be quite as ominous as it sounds. It looks like more of the same in the sense that we've seen this happen several times before. It's still in, under the Omicron umbrella, but it's a slightly different version given the mutations and it can evade some of our uh, immunity to the, to the virus from prior infection and, uh, and cause an infection. Avoiding infection is, is the right move. But I think the key point here is we've had multiple waves with an Omicron variant. We had a BA2 wave in the spring. We had a BA4 and BA5 wave in the summer. We had an XBB 1.5 wave in the winter. And none of those have come even close to putting the same pressure on our healthcare system as the first Omicron wave. And I think this is going to be more of the same. Still to come on the Sunday 7, there's new evidence of shrinking ice sheets and the real reason your moggy prefers the cardboard box to the expensive cat bed. Mass loss from Greenland and Antarctica is now responsible for a quarter of all sea level rise, which is five times what it was 30 years ago. Alarming new evidence once again shows the dramatic impact of climate change. A new study shows the massive ice sheets at polar ends of the planet are shrinking much faster than previously thought. Scientists say the acceleration is now unmistakable. They calculate the poles have lost over 7.5 billion tonnes in mass since 1992, and it's already devastating coastal regions worldwide. This is Twyla Moon, a wonderfully named researcher at the US National Snow and Ice Data Center, speaking with PBS NewsHour. It's important to remember the Greenland ice sheet covers the world's largest island. 
Antarctic ice sheet covers a continent. So these are very vast areas that are hard for us to imagine. And as we're losing ice from these areas, what we see arising at our coasts are things like coastal erosion, where we're losing land. We might have ocean water inundating our freshwater resources or causing problems with water and sewer systems. Or we might see flooding in areas that have never experienced it before, even further inland from the coast, and also areas that do experience flooding, having that occur more and more often. So these are impacts that we feel around the world and those for those of us who have felt very far from ice. As apocalyptic as the figures seem, Twyla says the devastating results aren't quite baked in yet. Unfortunately, we have already put a lot of polluting gases into the atmosphere. So we can expect sea levels to rise over the next 2030s, 2040s, and that that amount of sea level rise has been baked in due to our past actions. But it's very important to understand that sea level rise after that time period is very highly dependent on what human actions we take, what society does to address climate change. And in those pathways, the kind of experiences that our children will have and our grandchildren will have is deeply affected by the human actions that we are taking now and over this decade. It is frustrating that we're not taking stronger and more immediate actions in many cases, but I think it's important to still remember that we have made progress from where we were, for example, a decade ago, and that starting progress in one location can pass to another, and we can really create sort of social societal tipping points in a good way. And so I think that we have to remember there's no expiration on climate action. Every tenth of a degree that we prevent warming is worthwhile and will benefit us, and we can continue to strengthen our actions. Cats are weird, aren't they? If you've ever had the pleasure of owning one, you'll know their favourite toy is probably a random ball of paper you forgot to pick up from the floor, and their favourite place to sit is probably a slightly too small cardboard box. The internet is awash with clips of cats in boxes, but why are there so few videos of dogs doing the same? Well, there's actually a really good reason. I think one of the things that we have to remember is that cats are a species that are both predator and prey. This is cat expert Ingrid Johnson sharing her wisdoms with CNN. So for cats, cardboard boxes can be a spot of safety and security, nice place to hide and, and cozy up and take a nap. It's also a great ambush point. Cats are ambush predators and would much rather just sit under a shrub and, and slowly wait for their prey to just meander by so that they can successfully catch it. A cardboard box inside can serve a similar purpose and provide a place for them to pounce. Having a safe space for a cat like a cardboard box is essential for their well-being. It's been proven that cats are far less stressed and also less likely to break with illness in a shelter setting if they're provided with a box because they need a place to feel safe and to be able to hide. One of the reasons cats like cardboard boxes so much is because cardboard is insulating and helps cats not need to expel any additional energy to maintain their body temperature. And sometimes, you know, cats just love boxes. They love to squeeze themselves into a tiny box. And why? 
It's cozy. It's fun. They like it. The big cats like boxes too. Probably not much of a box left when they're done with it. A lot of people do not meet their cat's environmental needs. They need nooks and crannies. They need places to hide. You know, every time Amazon delivers, why not give something to your cat for enrichment? So back to the question, how come dogs don't seem to love boxes as much as our feline friends? They don't have the same hunting strategies. They don't have the same need for um, the preservation and a place to hide. Um, some dogs dig them, but mostly I think they enjoy tearing them up. It's just not a dog thing. Still to come on the Sunday 7, the Great Pacific Garbage Patch and the real reason your brunette mate has a ginger beard. Right after this. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. You're listening to the Sunday 7. Follow us for your weekday news espresso. Or even try our island edition. It's in all the usual places. According to a recent study, a swirling group of plastic debris floating in the middle of the Pacific Ocean is now home to dozens of marine species. Researchers found nearly 500 marine organisms living on the Great Pacific Garbage Patch, made up of 46 different species including oysters, crabs, barnacles, crustaceans and mussels. 80% of these species are usually only found along coastlines. So how are these creatures creating a home on a pile of floating plastic rubbish? Yus Dubois is a director of communications at non-profit The Ocean Cleanup. They seem to be able to feed themselves and reproduce while they are floating around on these little pieces and feed themselves on, on snails or, or small um, jellyfish that are in the area and manage to survive. Of course, or these are invasive species in the area and we will continue to uh, do more research on this. It's remarkable how many we found and the fact that they are able to reproduce is a warning sign and whether or not it's concerning, it's too early to say. So what does this mean for cleaning efforts trying to get the garbage out of the ocean? These are invasive species, so we don't think that it matters to take them out of the area when we take the plastic out. There is other species that are predominant in this area that we monitor very closely together with our catch to make sure that we don't do any damage while we uh, while we manage our operations. And for those wanting to help in the effort, Eust has some simple tips. Well, it starts, of course, with being uh, very, very aware of how you're using plastic, especially single-use plastics. We use a lot of it. It's, uh, it's great material, but it's also very persistent. So if you litter it, it will, uh, it will stay around for a long time. And um, uh, so don't litter, clean up, clean up the environment, participate in beach cleanups, uh, support organizations like, like ours. Uh, what we do is not, is not cheap, it's not easy. Two. 
Now, here's a thought for you. What if we could get the plastic products we're so used to having, but without the pollution and all the miserable stuff that goes with it? Well, one London-based startup says that could be possible, and they think they can make fossil fuels a thing of the past. Grant Ahrens is the CEO of Fabric Nano, a company specialising in cell-free biomanufacturing. We all know that we have a problem with materials that we use in the everyday. We have 8 billion metric tons of plastic waste that have accumulated in the oceans for 8 billion people. The process is a closely guarded secret, but it doesn't use the oil and gas we currently rely on. Instead, it uses proteins to make bioplastic. Proteins are these beautiful machinery that are capable of doing chemistry that we find all over nature and all within bio biology. Essentially, a protein can do any material production and any chemical production that we can think of today. This process isn't new, but Fabric Nano is aiming to design enzymes that can survive on an industrial scale. To do so, it's teamed up with a company called Sumitomo Chemical America, a plastic and petrochemicals producer. The chemical industry can be our friend if we enable them with technology that is a drop-in replacement for how they currently make chemicals today. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to enable this industry to help fight climate change as fast as possible using a technology that can be scaled exponentially quick and that is a cell-free biomanufacturing technology that we're building. As ever, the usual disclaimer stands. Don't get too excited just yet. It's going to take a while. Sheeran, Prince Harry, Christina Hendricks and Lindsay Lohan are just a few famous redheads. A full head of red hair is a rarity, but ginger beards are much more common. So why do some people have these red beards but not the red hair? As you may know, hair colour is inherited, so it's possible for the colour of a distant ancestor to reappear. MC1R is the culprit gene, which converts red pigment into dark pigment. If a person inherits two mutated MC1R genes, one from each parent, then they end up with red hair. But if you've only inherited one mutated gene, red hair can appear in other places, like your chin, quiet at the back. So that's why red beards are more common than pure redheads. The exact mechanism for how it all goes down, though, still isn't known, so the mystery of the Chinja persists. Chinja. This has been the Sunday 7. Wherever you're listening, do us a favour and hit the follow button. We'll be back tomorrow at 7am with the regular Smart 7. Have a great rest of your weekend. Written, produced and published by Daft Doris. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.